Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Have we hit the dog days of summer here in the MLB? That's exactly what I wanted to discuss. It feels like there's no clear storylines. We're kind of digging around. Guys are getting injured. Guys are coming back. Kind of loosely working on some all-star storylines. Not that much, though. Well, I mean, the storyline right now is the Sticky Substances storyline. I... I mostly agree with you, but it hasn't picked up the steam that I thought it would. Oh, it. I mean, but it was all over the place for like two days. So it's just the next injury that happens, the next UCL that's blamed on it is it'll come right back. Well, if if another one happens, I can like well, if and when another one happens, I agree with you that that the debate will come right back. But I mean, because we're obviously talking about the the glass now injury here that is being blamed on. The I can't use a mixture of sunscreen and rosin anymore, so I'm gripping the ball differently, and it hurt me. Right? It makes total sense. I mean, if you heard him, if you heard him speak, if you like hear the arguments, it it makes perfect sense. You don't do this midseason. Like I totally, it, we I I think that's what they're saying too. Is like we don't disagree with you changing this on us. You can't do that right now. Well, I think that the. Right. I should say that I'm clearly, I am firmly on the side of the players because the MLB has done so many behind the scenes tweaking. I mean, from the, from the genesis, of the Rich Hills blister problem, you know, like that, that's clearly a laces changing on the ball and just not being, not being upfront about it. The MLB has just not been upfront about any of these things. So I guess this is an overcorrection in some ways where they're like, well, now we're going to be upfront about it. This is the rule change. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess there there is that. Um, that at least was stated. So we have that. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's ridiculous. Are we forward-looking or backward-looking in the NBA? Yes. <laughs> Pretty crazy stuff going on right now. I mean, it, it's it's one of those special days in the NBA playoffs where you have asynchronous uh, series. Like you've got a every, game I, seven. I love it every time. And a game one starting. And I always... <laughs> I, I think I love, I love it, when it. Game one beats a game seven, and we're in the cha- in the um, conference championship. That's yeah, good. exactly. I love their dedication to this to just like play as many games as possible, have have the longest break before the finals possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they always fit in as many games. I I don't really understand it, but you know, go for it. Okay, so Clippers. But is, Suns. Isn't it wild though? Like think about this. The let's say the Suns were to sweep. They can do four four games, and then let's say Bucks Hawks <laughs> goes seven. Holy shit! I know. Played... <laughs> so much time. I know. So no, it's time. absolutely crazy. First of all, very aspirational Bucks Hawks. 
I'll cross my fingers. I mean, it would be would be a lot of fun, but you gotta figure that 76ers are three to two favorites. The thing that I find funny is I think most Eastern Conference people, fans of Eastern Conference teams, are going to mostly be rooting for the Eastern Conference. We're the Malign Conference. We have a lot of history, a lot of good teams. You can root for most any team. Nobody on the East Coast wants to root for Philadelphia. Everybody wants to see them fall on their face. No matter the scenario, no matter the Philadelphia team, want to see them fall on their face. Well, with, with the 76ers, there's so much trust the process that everyone, like, obviously is still sick of. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's more the cherry on top, though, of the hating the Philadelphia sports team. Fall of Gondolin. We finished the, the real telling of the story. So this is mm-hmm. what's put forward as the, the first thing to read. And now we're just kind of going to get into rehashes. <laughs> this is the best, right. Cause, so this was the best full version of it and the translation with, with the least modifications from Chris. That's right. Right. That's, that's what we're taking it as. That's right. I <laughs> think the last line is so lame. <laughs> I thought so too, but I forget what it. What then it said, was. "Little heart, son of Bronwig, alas for Gondolin." Yeah, Come like <laughs> why you just you just finished this story. the The Glorfindel battling the Balrog is kind of a little bit yada yadded. <laughs> like suddenly you're I like, know. "Ooh, Glorfindel went down," and then. You just, I mean, if we're thinking of this as a plane takeoff and landing, this was a bumpy landing. Yeah. It was, I, I was surprised that there was more after um, they escaped Gondolin. I know. I, I know. I mean, you needed a little bit more teaser. You can really see that this was supposed to go into, like, be Arendelle backstory. Yeah. Right, because because there's like the hints of him of talking about Aaron Deal and him growing up and this what it's like escaping and how he grows up afterwards and it's all yada yada and so I'm excited as we go further in the book to get because I know we have a version of the tale of Aaron Deal in here. I I hope so. Well, it's sort of funny. So this generation is sort of like the hinge that this generation of man, Tor, Turin, is the hinge. And the two most interesting men probably on the hinge are Huron and Arendil. Because you see sort of like the positives and negatives mm. of men versus elves. You see how those interactions can work. And then you see sort of the importance of them to Melko <laughs> and, and Middle-earth generally. I mean, Arendil being the savior and yep. Huron being the one who brings everything to the brink. Yeah. But you could see Huron is more of like he is really he's a chemotherapy. He's going to bring your body right to the brink of death just so that the white blood cells are going to start attacking the right shit. Yep. <laughs> Poison yourself to within a 1% of of your life and then hope that your body will recover. And flush everything bad out. And that's what happened in Middle Earth. That's what it was. The parallels are really... I, I mean, I think finishing the story, the parallels between the First Age and the Third Age, which we talked about before, are really, really striking. It really does show, doesn't it? Yeah. 
we get the Eagles again. I, I know, I know. I do, I do like getting the Eagles. What's his name? He has a sweet name, Thornhoth. No, that's the pe- Those are the people. I thought those were the people. Thorondor is the. Thorondor. Thor- yeah, 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 yeah. Thorondor is the king of the Eagles. Is he still around? In yeah, the Thornhoth are the people of the Eagles. I'm not sure. Is that is that Thorondor? I don't know. But I like that the Eagles. The Eagles are such a great device. They're they're like such a cheap device, but they're also great for it. <laughs> like you think it's like okay, Hobbit, they're saved by the Eagles. Lord of the Rings, they're saved by the Eagles. Fall of Gondolin, they're saved by the Eagles. But it's when you think about it as like this was Tolkien sort of like in a way this was like his spirituality coming in and these are like the angels coming in saving they're there but not really i don't know i i actually really like the eagles and i do like the parallels i was i was thinking the same thing so believe it or not we are still working on the tools looking at the looking at lineups in the mob it's turned out that just recording the lineups has been really valuable and really helpful but i think we can do more with it and the overarching goal just to remind you is that we're still working towards predicting plate appearances in an automated way. We're giving ourselves a measure of how many plate appearances we expect for a guy given co- constantly updating data. So I gave you the link. Um, I checked this. I ran this again. So we are, we are currently up to date. It's up to date on our, on our webpage right now. I think there's a, there's already a lot of interesting stuff in here, but I'm going to talk to you today and get some thoughts about the next generation of this and what we can do with some more of the subtle data. And that focuses on this column that is currently called similarity in the lineup analysis. We've talked about this a few times, uh, but what it is is it's my attempt to make a measure of, on average, how similar a lineup is from day to day based on a team do you think there's any utility in this (laughs) or what's your take on this yeah but it's one of those maybe it's just at the the edge cases so the very high very low ends up being useful but there's not really an order you can't really tell between um texas and philadelphia what that means 2.01 to 2.2 and whether or not that matters. I kind of thought that too. Right. So the one number um, one number is not sufficient. And that's where I was trying to, where I'm trying to attack this problem in a slightly more complex way right now. But I don't have a, I don't have a good way to distill all the information that I'm going to lay out and show you here. So let's start with two bookend teams. We've got the Red Sox and the Giants. The Red Sox are extremely consistent trying out the same lineup all the time. The Giants are extremely inconsistent, and they rarely trot out the same lineup. So what exactly are the axes on, on these? What, what are the axes on these images that I am looking at and our listeners are not? <laughs> <laughs> they might be. Sorry, they might be able to look at some of this at some point. Uh, okay, so what I did here is for every single game the Red Sox played, I matched it against every other game that the Red Sox played and asked how many uh, how many guys overlapped in the starting lineups in the exact spots that they were in. Okay. So 
you look and you see, okay, in, in any random game, is J.D. Martinez hitting third? <laughs> like, okay, game one, J.D. Right. Martinez hits third. Is he hitting third in games one through 70? If so, add a point to that or add a, mm-hmm. a, add one to it. And I took the, and when I compute the similarity score, it's the average of every box in this in this chart. Okay, yeah which is a, a good one number thing. But there's a lot of information in this chart and you can start to see, once you've stared at these for a little bit, you can start to see some patterns that keep coming back and try to figure yeah. out what's actually happening here. Scheduled days off. Right. Or pitching matchups that yep. um, constitute the other side of a, of a um, platoon. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the for American League teams, it's trip to NL ballparks. <laughs> Oh, yep. You get that as well. Big, big changes. Uh, One of the things that gets really obvious and why I'm highlighting the Red Sox here is when a key player gets goes down for a couple days, which happened a little over a week ago with Boston and J.D. Martinez. Yeah. So he sat for a few days and you suddenly see that, oh, J.D. Martinez is actually a linchpin for the Boston lineup (laughs) that... When you move JD Martinez around, everything else changes. Everything and, changes, yeah. and suddenly you have this pocket of five games that have a lot of similarity amongst themselves, but no similarity to the other games in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's basically what this chart is trying is trying to show, um, and just trying to get a sense of trying to trying to get more of the information about how similar a lineup is from day to day. So let's look at the the flip side of this, which is San Francisco, which I actually find this one extremely confusing. It San, is. San it Francisco is. San Francisco just never puts guys in the same spot in the lineup. I mean, their average no. is so low. <laughs> so we take it with a grain of salt, the lineup that is uh, 2021. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. And I, I really don't know what to... Are any of these consistent? Are any of the players within this consistent? And then there's like regular. I mean, it's harder for the NL to be more consistent, right? Because you have number nine hitter is always going to be different. So there, there are a couple that are consistent, which is it on, on specifically talking about the the Giants, which is uh, Mike Yastrzemski is almost always second. And Brandon Belt is almost always twice. fourth. Well, when he's not on the DL, yeah. And Brandon Belt is almost always fourth. Well, that, that tells you something, right? If one of the most consistent players on your team has been on the DL. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I guess what, what we're seeing here, it, I, I'm really curious. Part of what I want to know about some of these is like, what's the ideal lineup? Like you are the San Francisco Giants. You're a perfectly healthy team. What do you want your ideal lineup to be? <laughs> and I'm not sure that we've seen it ever in the course of this year. No, they still don't know. And they're doing pretty well and they still don't know. But maybe that's what's that's what's great is that it's every single game they're playing to the matchups. Maybe second half of the year they'll uh, regress to the mean. So I've so you do see teams like if you look at this thing for Milwaukee, you can see where Christian Yelich came back and suddenly their lineup starts to look more like they want it to. So the consistency starts to really increase. But I actually don't see that happening with San Francisco. No, I'm not no, sure. Yeah, chart has. There's no more consistent down in the last 10 games as there was before. So, yeah, so I'm not sure what to make of of San Francisco. Basically, I mean, this is all, again, prep for forecasting PAs. 
but it doesn't look like it's going to be easy at all to forecast PAs for San Francisco. Yeah, but I mean, think I think you know sometimes you invent a tool and then it's used for something else. Super glue is a great example. <laughs> I do think that this is helpful in a way. As I said, those limits um, are very helpful because San Francisco. I think you know generally. Don't trust anyone that you pick up from San Francisco. He's going to do it week to week, and he's even going to be playing week to week. So that's a good kind of warning. And then the opposite is probably true for Boston. You should overinvest, especially in the 12 to 16-team leagues, in the Christian Vasquez, Marwin Gonzalez, and the Hunter Renfros because they actually they are trying to get him in the lineup consistently in those spots. We know that they're going to be in the lineup, have played appearances, in being a pretty good offense. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I mean, it, it's totally different than picking up, say, an, an Alex Dickerson for San Francisco, where he could be batting anywhere in the lineup, conceivably anywhere in this lineup. <laughs> God, I mean, the amount of leagues that you could win by knowing when Alex Dickerson is going to play, not him, but also everyone like him. Right. If you, if you suddenly became the Alex Dickerson whisperer, <laughs> I mean, Buster Posey is actually a great example, too, because Buster Posey has batted anywhere from second to seventh, and that's a pretty different value. <laughs> I know. Oh, man, it's been tough being a Buster Posey owner. And then I have I picked one middle-of-the-road example here. Uh, this is a good example because it is wild. Which is an interesting one. Seattle, you basically see they have three blocks of lineups that they've tried out this year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it essentially hinges on who they think should be their leadoff hitter at a given time. Oh, really? So they started with Mitch Haniger. <laughs> and as a placeholder. As a placeholder. Clearly. And now they have they have turned around to JP Crawford is their leadoff batter. Which is more of what they wanted. Which is more of what they wanted. So it's interesting because you can see basically over the past 10 to 15 games that they've settled into this consistency habit with J.P. Crawford as the leadoff batter. Mm-hmm. But this is an interesting thing to to wonder what they're going to do in the sense that Seattle appears to be content to do wholesale shifts of their lineup. Like they have block, yeah. they have they have orders in their head that they want guys to bat in. And then suddenly a switch gets flipped and they try a new lineup and they try a new lineup. And now it's like, okay, well, how do we watch out with Seattle for when they're going to decide to just try a new lineup on us? We don't know. I mean, that's see, that's that's the kind of thing that you do want to have a good sense for in those deeper leagues of, of uh, well, this is a team where anyone that I pick up, we don't, I don't know, Taylor Trammell, who knows? <laughs> who knows if he's going to be getting any at-bats or not? I think that about brings us to the review session. Carlos Correa. It feels we reviewing him now. It feels to me like Carlos Correa has been around forever. (laughs) I know. I have the same idea. And he's twenty six. He's going to be twenty seven this year. That's right. Twenty six. Going to be twenty seven. Carlos Correa. uh, Been on. Been on the Houston Astros his entire career. Here, he has two hundred ninety plate appearances as of right now. Forty nine runs. Thirteen home runs. Thirty nine RBIs. Zero stolen bases. Big over and a 292 average. If you told me in 2016 that Carlos Correa would be getting zero stolen bases <laughs> consistently, consistently, yeah. uh, 
No way. I wouldn't have believed you at all. Yeah, but I, I, I in 27, 2017, we discussed him. I was like, he's going to be, he's Manny, he's a slightly worse version of Manny Machado and he's not going to steal bases. And I think I want to, I, uh, I bet with you, a bet box with you on that one. Absolutely. He, yeah, he was projected to be a five tool player and he is, is not. And I know he had a couple injuries over, over the period from 2017 to 2020, uh, I guess to 2019, but yeah, I, he's just not going to steal bases. Well, three full seasons, 2017, 2018, 2019, he didn't top 110 games. Right. I mean, 110 was his you, max. You rag on Tim Anderson for not being durable. Look at this. <laughs> Look at Carlos Correa's play rates. But last year, he was in the uh, top 10 for games. Yeah, hard to know what to make of that. But I, I, oh, generally, I generally agree. You know, I hadn't realized. So he's another uh, number one overall draft pick. Oh, yeah. I mean, Houston had a lot of them. He was... He has all the tools. He just doesn't steal bases anymore. Actually, he doesn't why use that tool? Why isn't he better? I mean, look look at his look at his percentile rankings on Savant right now. It's all red. Everything is good. <laughs> he is good. Yeah, I know. Other than barrels, but I mean, his exit velocity is good. Hard hit is good. Max exit velocity ninety eight percent. Man, doesn't strike out. Walks. See, sprint speed, 55th percentile. I think that's part of the injuries. I mean, yeah. to be fair to him, part of the reason he's not stealing bases is speed isn't as big, and I think that he wants to make sure that he's able to be out in the field. He's a shortstop. I mean, I think some other teams might have already transitioned him to a different position. Hmm. That's interesting, too. To try question. to get more offense out of him. Yeah. It's, okay. All right. That's an interesting question. There's still space for him. There's still time for him to transition. He is 26. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Carlos Beltran style. Yeah. Yeah. Hits power to all parts of the field. Like that. Yeah. Like that spray chart. A lot. I mean, I, you're watching watching him. Mm. He looks dangerous. He's in the batter's box, and he looks dangerous. He's a big guy. Yeah, he's a well-built guy, for sure. He can. He swings really well. I, yeah, I mean, he, he looks good. He just doesn't quite, but he's coasting. That's it. He's coasting. He's always feels like he's in coast mode. What was his, what was his overall draft pick? It was pretty relatively high, right? This year? Yeah. 110. That's why he's oh. here. So we, um, we're going to have a couple, we're going to have two, I guess, three anomalies here in the ordering. Um, but he was pick number 110 and was, I mean, just two years ago, he was probably pick number, he was in the top 20. He was in the top 30. So he's fallen off cliff because injury concerns, no stolen bases. But looking, I mean, looking at the other guys that we've reviewed recently, let, you know, ignore Josh Rojas. You redraft, do you take him over the guys that we've talked about recently? Do you take him over Dansby Swanson? Yes. You take him over Javier Baez? Well, I mean, I don't know. This, this is a good one, but let's keep going. Take him over Glaber Torres. Yeah. Tim Anderson. I think depending on the team need, you might. Yeah. If stolen bases are you concerned, no. <laughs> yeah. If stolen bases are you concerned, no. If you just need to have an upside pick, no. If you need to, well, injury concern, he's about the same injury concern, but I think that he's going to get more games this year than... He's going to get more games this year than Tim Anderson. 
Ooh, good bet. Uh, Corey Seager, Mondesi. I think these are tough ones. I mean, Seager. No, we. Mm. So he's not. I mean, yeah, Seager is a place where you might have considered him, but Corey Seager is coming off of a pretty good year. But they're more. There's more similarity with Seager. I, that's kind of Tim Anderson. That's what I was just thinking. That they're they're a little bit more similar player. Um, you wish you could have gotten him over Mondesi, considering how it's going right now. And then after that, you know, above above that, no, obviously you're going to draft everybody. No, you're else. not going to take him above the top six. Yeah, but I mean, you could make you could have made the case for of um, yeah. It's funny. I would your your exercise is is perfect because I think over the 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 three guys directly ahead of him, you would have taken him. You you very well could have taken him over those three guys fine and then he probably deserved to be in the mix of Mondesi, Seeger, and Anderson where you're gauging upside versus downside and um, Carlos Correa fits in that very well what are you trying to do with your team yeah actually it's an interesting point I mean 110 is actually a good spot to really be a good draft place to really be evaluating what your team's need is <laughs> yeah you can draft on need at that point more so than other spots it's really too bad about that Mondesi pick. Yeah. Oh, I guess his his ADP was 122. The consensus ranking for Carlos Correa was 110. So people were out on him. The um, fantasy experts, less so. Well, the ups the he is an upside pick, but the ceiling upside is pretty low. Yeah, because he's only got four tools. Yeah. And you're sort of dependent on that Houston t- team, and that and which that, has been cheating. I know. <laughs> and that's a thing that fantasy experts will reward, but your average fantasy drafter will not, because your average fantasy your fantasy expert is looking for marginal value, and Carlos Correa is going to give you marginal value increase, but there's no chance that he's going to be a, a top ten player. <laughs> He'd, I mean, how many stolen bases would he need to be a top 10 player? I think, I mean, he'd have to be a 30-30 guy, right? With his on-pace number. No, I don't think yes. so. No. I think that with his, because he's on pace for 113 runs. And if he was, he's on pace for 90 RBIs, but I'm pretty sure he's going to get higher than that. So if, let's say he's 113-30 home runs, 100 RBIs. At a 291 clip? Uh, 291. Okay. Good value there. I think that maybe 10 stolen bases would have put, could put him in the, in the, in the top 10, 12. I, d- uh, sure. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure top about 10 that. hitter, I guess. Not, let's get Bieber and whatever out of there. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I mean, because then, then you'd be, then you really would be talking about drafting him over like Bichette and Bogarts. Well, that's yeah. I'm saying how many, how many you need? Is it ten stolen bases? So you're saying it's got to be more like twenty? I think so. <laughs> well, here's the example. Jesse Winker is the example well, right now. What you have to do to be a top twelve player to be able to? My uh, salt rubbing salt in the wound that this is the one year that you're not all Winker all the time. The only year of the past ten that <laughs> I haven't had had claims on Winker in some way. <laughs> Three forty four average. <laughs> it's wow. it's true that that i mean you might you might really hope that korea would have a, a 300 average yeah 
I mean, 292 is good, but it's not 300. So Matt Olson is a 300 average, and he's 19 home runs right now, 44 runs, 52 RBIs. I guess that's what you have to do to be able to be a top 15 player without any stolen bases and without an appreciable amount of stolen base and a 290 to 300 batting average. Maybe you could get to 40 home runs. I could see that. I could see Correa. With that swing, he could. Uh, The swing swing looks really good. Don't get me wrong. But he's never hit more than 24 in a season. (laughs) So we're talking huge increase. This year that he's on pace for 30 is going to be huge. And he only hit five last year. So you're yeah. talking about how he's playing, how he played so many games and was durable last year, but he hit no home runs. <laughs> Michael, who are we doing next week? Got one of those anomalies for you here, Manny Machado. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is, worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.